I'm Andrew Mitchell, and you're listening to Don't Mess With Nature, a series of podcasts where we look at the balance between nature and money. Well, today I thought I'd have a think about the meaning of life. What do we really mean by the meaning of life? I decided to look it up on Google to give us a good steer. And uh, funnily enough, the, the fourth version I got was The Life of Brian, that wonderful Monty Python film, which uh, explores the meaning of life from the point of view of Jesus and the crucifixion. The sixth one down was, uh, was Douglas Adams and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And uh, Douglas Adams was a, a brilliant novelist and he came up with the perfect answer to the meaning of life. 42. Yeah, 42. Why 42? It's a number. It's just a number. Does it have any meaning? Well, Douglas eventually admitted he said it, he made it up. If, in fact, you look into history, the number 42 has rather a lot of strange connotations. For example, Harry Potter discovered he was a wizard on page 42 of the Philosopher's Stone. In the book of Revelations in the Bible, the beast roams the earth for 42 months, causing mayhem. So what about the meaning of life? Well, in these podcasts, we try and have a look at uh, the balance between money and nature. And one of the things that the financial sector is really having to grapple with is what does the meaning of life mean for them? Of course, most people in finance and you know like lots of money and that buys you the life you want. That's the meaning of life. I've got to get a lot of money so I can have a widescreen telly or if you're in a hedge fund, a super yacht and a very nice house. That's the meaning of life. If you're in the insurance industry, it could be about life insurance. We all need life insurance because if we die, it pays out. And that's very good for our families left behind. Uh, we have health insurance to make sure that when our life goes wrong, it also pays out when we get ill. We have pensions that pays out when we get old and we can't earn money anymore. So these are all different kinds of, in a sense, life insurance. But we don't really have a pension fund for the planet. And all our lives are dependent on keeping our home safe. That's what economy means, managing where you live. Unlike ecology, which means the study of where we live. And these two things sort of come together if you want to understand what the meaning of life is really all about. Because unless we can find a better state of equilibrium between natural capital, that's life on Earth, and financial capital, the money that makes the world go around, there's a real danger that we'll continue to finance ourselves into extinction. And it's because of this mismatch between life on Earth and the meaning of life that we get weird stuff happening, like COVID-19, which is an expression of nature under stress. When we get really stressed, or we're not healthy, and we don't get out much, we get sick. The underlying problem is our lifestyle, but it expresses itself in things that make us ill. And I see that happening with our Earth now, because we haven't got the meaning of life right. What was my first real experience of the meaning of life? Well, I'm a zoologist originally, a long time ago. I did a zoology degree at Bristol University, and after that I wanted to see the world. I, I was born on a little tiny island where you couldn't go very far, five miles in each direction, and you hit the sea. 
So going off and exploring that giant world was very exciting to me. And by good fortune, I ended up on an expedition into the rainforest. That was in 1978. I was into northern Borneo, an amazing rainforest around the Mulu National Park. And it wasn't a national park in those days. And as I said before, it took us three days to get in and blah, blah, blah. And you have to walk around and you get into this extraordinary rainforest. You've seen them on Attenborough films and everything. But unless you've really been in one, to walk quietly on your own, not in a bunch of tourists who are all eating sweets and making too much noise and you won't see any animals. If you walk alone, you understand the meaning of life. Rainforests are the greatest expression of evolution that the world has ever come up with. In just one hectare of forest, there might be 400 different species of tree. In Great Britain, there are just 15 in the whole country. And you get up into the canopies of these rainforests and you cannot imagine the vibrancy of life that's all around you. You get bees the size of pigeon's eggs buzzing along and entering beautiful flowers that you can't even see from the ground. Pigeons flying up and down valleys with great splashes of, of yellow and mauve and red, which are the tree crowns in colour. Again, you can't see them from the ground. Early explorers would wander around. All you could do is just see these flecks of colour on the forest floor. But I think the greatest thing there is the sound. You sit quietly and you listen. The staggering amount of noise that comes out of the forest. So there's so many different things that are calling, from birds to insects. It's unimaginable. And in the dawn chorus, just as the light is coming in the forest, you get cicadas and you can tie, you don't need a watch to wake up. You just listen to the cicadas. And every morning, six o'clock, the six o'clock cicada starts making a noise. Of, it wakes you up. In the evening, when it's time to go to bed and pour your first whiskey, if you're lucky enough to have one, you'll get the six o'clock cicada in the evening, which sounds like a chainsaw going like that. Extraordinary noises, beautiful creatures, an expression of life on earth like it's never been. Now, for many other people, life, for them, life on Earth, might be in a nightclub with flashing lights, amazing noise. My son's a DJ. I know all about that. Amazing noise in a giant city. So what we've got here are humanity growing into giant cities, which are our biggest expression of life on Earth as far as humans are concerned. And on the other end of the scale, we've got the greatest expression of life on Earth that's ever been designed by the planet, rainforest, in retreat. Because the one is causing the destruction of the other. The demands of our cities around the world, the needs of humanity to feed ourselves, are causing the destruction of life on Earth. And the way that happens is that we need a lot of commodities in our cities to live. We need lots of things like um, soya, which feeds our chickens, pigs and cows. That comes from the Amazon and gets traded over to Europe or to China to feed billions of people there. Uh, we need beef because people like to eat meat. And the biggest production of beef in the world is in the Amazon. And so 
The cattle ranching needs land, very low density of cows, so they cut down the rainforest to put the cows on, and then the beef gets exported out of Brazil all around the world. Palm oil in Southeast Asia to feed our desire for shampoos, cosmetics, cakes, ice cream, causes the destruction of the rainforest and the life on Earth over in the tropics in Asia. So all of these things are being sucked in like a magnet into giant cities. And most of the money in the world that pays for those kinds of things comes from our pension funds and our insurance funds. And that's a bit weird, isn't it? Because you say, um, well, what we need to do is have this balance between life, the meaning of life in the tropics, or where all these things live that are the land that's needed to provide, and the big cities where we have a great life. So we have to start thinking a bit about what is the meaning of life between our lifestyles, our money, and nature on earth. So for some people, the meaning of life is about grandeur, about big things. And the people who like that are often the richest people on earth. What do I mean by that? Well, why is it that in all our big cities, we so appreciate and adore the tallest buildings? There's a kind of competition on, isn't there? across the world in our big cities to build giant structures. Who can build the biggest? It's amazing, isn't it, that the tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, is 2,717 feet tall. That's almost half a mile. In fact, it's more than half a mile tall, 828 meters. It's absolutely gigantic. But here's the weird thing. The tallest building in the whole world is built on sand. Dubai has proved that you can create a paradise on sand, provided you've got access to lots of water and cash. But it concerns me that the source of the cash has been oil, which allows them to, amongst other things, convert seawater into freshwater. In fact, they can create an incredible paradise because the conversion of seawater to freshwater is quite cheap. And you can only do that if you've got a lot of cash and you can build all the buildings you've got a lot of cash and you excite people by creating this paradise in the desert. And people want to go there for cheap holidays and have a nice time. But it's all built on sand. And if we fall out of love with the cash, and the source of the cash, of course, is oil, there's a real danger that the money tap dries up. They'll know that, of course. But struck me is that when you look back in history, often the very biggest buildings, the biggest structures of any society have always been built at the end of the civilization. The Egyptians built the largest pyramids just before they collapsed. The Maya in uh, Central America, Guatemala, in Yucatan, in Mexico, parts of Belize, the same thing. I remember visiting Chichen Itza and some of the other great Mayan structures, and climbing up there before dawn, watching the sunrise. And what was extraordinary is that the forest had come in again over those civilizations. What happened with the Maya, and, and it's pretty well documented now, is 
that all the forests around were uh, destroyed in order to create land to feed the big cities. And they were big cities, huge cities for those days. And as people got richer and richer, and because they needed ever more bigger structures to convince people of the success of their society, they built these pyramids higher and higher and bigger and bigger. And the people who sat on the top of the pyramids were the priests. And the weird thing about the priests was they were all covered in blood because the currency of their success was sacrifice. And those pyramids were actually built to have steps all the way down. And at the top was Chakmun, a terrifying god, lying on his back with his knees up one side and his chest and arms up the other. And his tummy made a table. And they used to use captured prisoners. And they bent their bodies belly up over Chakmun's belly. With knives, the priests came out cut their bellies open, thrust their hands in, pulled out their hearts, still pumping blood, covered it over themselves and kicked the bodies down the steps. And the reason to do that was to make rain. And the problem was, as they cut all the forest, the rain stopped coming. So instead of thinking, aha, I think we've got a problem here, we better stop cutting down the forest. They said, what we need to do is sacrifice more prisoners. And so these pyramids got bigger and bigger and more and more prisoners had their poor hearts cut out. And then eventually they started using their own people all to build up the priesthood. The priesthood said, don't worry, lies. We know what we're doing here. We just need to carry on doing it. We need to have more sacrifices and then we'll get rain. And the boss of the whole system, the emperor, the chief, of course, was fully invested in the priests, because he was ultimately responsible. And of course, it didn't work, did it? Eventually, the rainforests were gone, the rain disappeared, and the entire Maya civilization collapsed. And then the forest came back, and it has come back. I saw the same thing on Easter Island when I traveled right across the Pacific from New Guinea to Easter Island. It was my last stop on the way. And I went on horseback all around Easter Island in the mid-1980s, rode on a horse, staying in caves, camping there. And one thing you see on Easter Island, these huge statues with their white eyes, big hat, staring out to sea on giant platforms. Everybody knows the images. What you don't find so obvious is that the biggest statues ever made were never stood up. The bigger statue lies half in the ground and half out of it with the tools lying on the ground around the statue. And there was a revolution. Something must have happened that the poor people were put to work building ever bigger structures. And it was the same kind of problem, wasn't it? Building up bigger structures, saying, our civilization is safe. We just need to build even bigger structures to demonstrate the success of our civilization. Well, the Easter Island civilization collapsed as well because of conflict, because they'd cut all the trees down and they didn't have enough to support themselves in the end. We seem to be doing a bit the same, don't we? All these big structures that we're building and we're saying, just don't worry, the economy's fine, we'll keep going, just build a bigger skyscraper and it's all going to be fine and we'll have a nice time and Dubai is the perfect exemplar of what you can do in a desert. What is it? So I think our meaning of life. We need to think about the life insurance for our planet. And we need to think about the money that we're using that way. So that when you go to your insurer and you give them some money for your health insurance, your pension fund, and everything else, 
on one side, they're taking all the money in. That's called a premium. On the other side, they're spending all the money on things. They invest it in the market. You know, the strange thing I've discovered, having talked to a lot of insurance companies, particularly if you're, for instance, dealing with insurance of disasters, why would you want to fund oil companies in your investment portfolio when you're getting hurricanes that are causing massive payouts on the other side? And yet that's exactly what happens because the two sides of the insurance companies don't talk to each other. They take the money in on one side, our premium, and then they go and invest it. And they're going to invest it in things that are causing the problem in the first place. So they might be investing in things like big oil or big coal, which are then causing fossil fuels, which are making our atmosphere unstable, which are then causing hurricanes, which cause massive pay hikes for the insurance companies. They might be investing in food companies that are making us obese, which means that the biggest bed blocker that we have in the NHS at the moment is diabetes, which is caused by diet, and there's no thought necessarily in the money that's been invested by the insurance industry into should they be investing in good health or bad health, food companies, etc. You get the idea? So what we've got to do if we're going to find a new kind of equilibrium between natural capital and financial capital is we have to put a bit more thought in to the meaning of life. What's the life we want? And how is our money being used to deliver that life? There's no point in having a pension fund if, when it pays out, you can't breathe the air. There's no point in investing in health insurance if the money that's going into the health insurance investment process is funding the wrong kind of lifestyle that's creating the problem in the first place. So we need to start thinking about how life is connected with money. That's what we're trying to do with these podcasts. Thank you for listening. I'm Andrew Mitchell and you've been listening to Don't Mess With Nature, a series of podcasts on how we get a better balance between money and nature.